Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome your host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changers. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Thank you for joining our uh, little podcast uh, where we try every week to give you the latest information in medicine, obviously with a pharmacotherapy bent because I'm a professor of pharmacy practice, but often we you know, talk about uh, just the important things in healthcare just in general. But uh, uh, today we're going to talk about an interesting study that is literally hot off the press, just published last week as of this uh, taping in The Lancet. But uh, again, that's that our goal. Is, is, to, is to give you the latest, greatest uh, game changers that will affect your practice, whether you're a provider, whether you're a pharmacist, and most importantly, hopefully give you some information to kind of operationalize what you do. Today, we are going to be talking about, as I said, a paper hot off the press in the Lancet and actually just announced at the American College of Cardiology meeting I see a couple of days ago as well, called the Sodium HF study, and a study that wanted to take a look at dietary restriction of salt in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and seeing and looking at its outcomes in in practice. So again, I, I think a pretty important uh, topic. Uh, certainly, I think, you know, I mean, I've been a pharmacist now, this is my 30th year, unbelievably, uh, being a pharmacist. Uh, even back in the day, uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I was in pharmacy school, uh, we did, in fact, learn about uh, the importance of sodium restriction in patients with heart failure, that when people eat a lot of sodium, they retain a lot of water, and that gets them into trouble. Uh, there's been studies over the years that have suggested that anywhere from 50 to 70% of heart failure hospitalizations are due to dietary indiscretions. And of course, it is notoriously difficult, especially in America, if you're if you're listening to my voice and you live in America, uh, notoriously difficult to ha- eat a low sodium diet, especially if you're on a fixed income, because m- most of the fo- food you're going to be eating is processed food and has tons of sodium. Uh, the sad fact is, is there's sodium in just about everything Americans eat. So that's always been the struggle back and forth about, you know, putting patients on and back when I was in uh, school and in, in, in right first getting out of practice, we tried to go for, you know, three to four grams a day of sodium. And then they said, well, really lowers even better. So maybe more like, you know, 1500 or 2000 milligrams of, of sodium a day. And, you know, it, it just, it was very, very difficult to get that accomplished, I think, in, in many patients. And of course, a lot of it has to do with, with literacy. You know, patients will say, and I've heard patients say, doc, I don't understand. I threw away the, the salt shaker. I'm still gaining weight and I'm still gaining fluid. And you know, of course, they're eating again a lot of packaged food. They're going out to eat at restaurants where they're not able to, to, to check labels for sodium. You know, it, it again, it's just, it's very, very difficult to do. So it's not probably all that surprising in a world like that or in a situation like that, that the uh, evidence to support the uh, use of dietary restriction of sodium and improving outcomes has always been a little bit controversial. There's been some studies suggesting some short-term benefit. There's been some other studies that have not suggested a benefit. And of course, it's it's pretty difficult to do this as a randomized blinded study. I mean, how are you going to blind people how much sodium they have and stuff like that. And and so there's, there, there's always been some controversy about exactly how effective this uh, intervention was. So to kind of address this, the again, just hot off the press published sodium HF study trial was published to assess the effects of dietary sodium restriction on clinical outcomes. So they did look at some secondary outcomes like quality of life and stuff like that, but they really wanted to see, you know, does in fact having people restrict their sodium 
decrease their hospitalizations and things along those lines. And, and uh, they looked at kind of a 12 month window. Um, they also looked at, at a couple other things as well. Now, um, I think this was a pretty well done study. It was a pragmatic multinational open label study. So I think they tried to make the inclusion and exclusion criteria pretty broad so that you could apply this information to a wide number of patients. Um, it is worth noting that the study was not done in the United States. It was actually done in six countries, including Australia, Canada, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. And again, I don't know enough about the dietary differences between uh, uh, the United States and those areas to really comment on that. It would not surprise me if Americans eat more sodium than people who live in, say, Colombia, but I, but I could be very wrong on that. They did recruit people from everywhere. So again, this, they wanted to make this as pragmatic and easy to do as possible. You just had to be 18 years or older with chronic heart failure, which they define as a New York Heart Association classification class two or three, and trying to receive optimal uh, medical therapy that was guideline directed. Of course, guideline directed medical therapy is now the new watchword in treatment of especially HEF-REF. There was no ejection fraction or they didn't, you know, they did, they didn't say yeah, if your BNP levels were above or below a certain point that you could be included. Excluded. So that was, again, they wanted to make it as broad as possible. Again, the exclusion criteria was, was fairly loose. Basically, if you already weren't having eating a very low sodium diet and being adhered to it, you couldn't be in the study. If your serum sodium was less than 130 or your EGFR was less than 20 or on, on dialysis, or had been hospitalized uh, to the hospital, the cardiovascular cause in the past month, those were the only exclusion criteria. So again, very broad inclusion, very broad exclusion criteria, which again, we wanted to make this as, as realistic and pragmatic as possible. At that point, patients were then randomized on a one-to-one -one basis to uh, receive either two regimens. So the first was a low sodium diet group, which they targeted a sodium of less than 1.5 grams a day. So let me repeat that, a sodium target of less than 1.5 grams a day, very difficult, I think, to achieve on the average American diet. You may ask, why did they select such a, such a strict uh, uh, target? And that's because, again, you know, I think there's epidemiological data and other randomized control trial data that has suggested that that 1.5 is is kind of the the limit that you can probably get people away from who who live, you know, in a you know who who, who are who are living especially in urban areas that that's probably the lowest you can probably go in practical limits of getting their sodium down. And that again, some studies uh, in the last 25, 30 years have suggested that kind of 1.5 to 2 grams uh, target, it seems to be even better than 3 grams target uh, as far as what we're doing with sodium. So that's why they picked 1.5 grams. I agree with you. That's a pretty strict target. I'm not sure I would be able to, to, to adhere to, to, to such a diet uh, easily, but that's what they did. They didn't, and one of the things I like about the study is then they didn't just say, well, good luck. They actually did a, a kind of an in intensive dietary educational plan, and they did basically meal plans and menus and talk to patients, and they, they targeted the menus uh, not, for, you know, for the different countries. So, you know, again, if somebody is in one country, they didn't get, give you, well, here's, here's a meal that's very common in Australia, for example, you may have never seen this. They didn't do that. They developed uh, sample meals and sample diet plans according to energy requirements of the patient, energy distribution of the equipment, the extent of sodium restriction compared to a normal diet, and then in accordance with, with local foods and, and lo local uh, uh, food items. So I thought that was actually pretty well done. They also, it also was, you know, 
a, a you know, general good diet with about 15 to 20% protein, 50% carbs and the rest fat and, and you know, consistent with most car, uh, cardiovascular diet guidelines. So again, they wanted to do this for a month. And so they followed them during the intervention for a month. And then after the intervention was concluded, they wanted to continue to follow these patients up for an additional 12 months. So the total uh, length of the study was two years. They uh, had clinical visits at baseline at six and 12 months, and then two or two extra visits at three and nine months after the uh, had been finished to support dietary adherence. And I think that's going to be really important. I think it's going to be really easy for people to fall out of this and, and, and stop using this, the, the diet plan that was given to them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at each visit, they checked a variety of things, including body weight, three-day food record, New York Association functional class was assessed, and they did a uh, the Kansas City uh, uh, CQ of, of uh, quality uh, instrument for heart failure. So that's good. Uh, they did then look at, uh, at three-day sodium intake at baseline, six months and 12 months in both groups, and then in the intervention group at an extra three and nine months to support and monitor daily adherence. Again, you know, one wonders, you know, the, the, the total way, and, and I, I don't, I think it would be almost uh, uh, financially impossible uh, to, to do a study where, where you, you know, daily or even weekly really looked at adherence. I have no doubt that there were weeks where the people in the low sodium group probably, let's face it, cheated and probably ate more sodium than they probably should have. Um, and I'm not sure there's any way you, you, you could really account for that. Uh, that being said, again, we want this to be a pragmatic study. So, I mean, you know, we're not going to do that to the average patient. We're not going to check their sodium amount every single day. So it has to be something that can be easily implemented, I think, uh, you know, uh, to patients without too much cost associated with it and without having them having to completely rearrange where they get their food and things along those lines. Outcomes, the primary outcome was a composite of cardiovascular related hospitalization. So that was primarily heart failure, but for other related causes as well, cardiovascular related emergency department of visit and all cause death within 12 months after randomization. Secondary endpoints, like all these studies, had a million of them. So that includes uh, the individual components of, of the primary outcome. Uh, they also looked at, again, the Kansas City cardiomyopathy the questionnaire, the KCCQ, looked at that summary score, the clinical summary score and physical limitation score from that. They did do six minute walk challenges in these patients and looked if there was any difference between them. And they did calculate New York Heart Association functional class from baseline to 12 months. So that's, that was our outcomes. The stats were a bit complex, but they, they did seem reasonable. They had originally designed for, for a fairly high number of patients, which would make sense to, to show a difference between the two, even with the composite primary outcome. And unfortunately, they did not meet a power for their study. Uh, they actually did an interim analysis at the uh, end of 2020 and basically decided, I think, for two large reasons. One, the COVID pandemic had made doing these kind of studies very, very difficult to do, very, very complex to do. But also they had, had done some interim analyses and felt like the numbers were basically not uh, going to, to uh, show a benefit, basically. They don't actually say in the study that they declared futility in their interim analysis, but they basically just they, they kind of give this kind of vague, well, between the interim analysis and the fact that we were having a difficult time recruiting patients because of the COVID pandemic, we decided to basically close enrollment at the end of 2020, which is exactly what they did. So, uh, so it is important to note that they did not meet power at their interim analysis, but um, I, I think that, that the combination of, of where they felt the trend lines were going as well as difficulty recruiting of the COVID pandemic made it difficult for them to, to continue, basically.
So taking a look at baseline characteristics, they looked at a wide variety of baseline characteristics, including you know all the demographics you would expect, uh, their baseline sodium intake, their uh, ejection fraction. Of course, what's going to be critical here is what goal-directed guideline therapy they're on already. So they took a look at how many patients were on medications, things along those lines. They uh, want to take a look at body mass index, eGFR that they calculated, et cetera, et cetera. They did do a multivariate Cox regression model to account for a lot of these things, and I think that would absolutely be necessary to do in a study like that to look at outcomes because of, of the possible influence of some of these confounders on things. They also did a, a pre-specified group analysis based on, on age, whether you're younger or older than 65, renal function, uh, presence of diabetes, presence of hypertension, what level of left ventricular ejection fraction you had less than 40% versus greater 40%, et, et cetera. So they did do some pre-specified analyses to see maybe there's a benefit. Um, as we mentioned, the study was started in 2014 and ended in on December 9th, 2020, again, because of of the pandemic. At that point, they had only recruited 806 patients and they were randomized to the low sodium diet, which was about 400 patients and usual care, which is about 400 patients. Despite the fact that they didn't reach uh, their, their power baseline characteristics were actually very nicely balanced between the groups. Median age was 67, 33% of the patients were women, 68% uh, of patients had had heart failure for at least one year and 33 had actually been for, uh, admitted to the hospital for heart failure exacerbation within the last 12 months. Median median ejection fraction was actually 36%, so between the two groups, so actually pretty normal. And uh, natural peptide measurement in the 90 days for enrollment was, again, very similar between the two, uh, between the two groups. Some other uh, uh, baseline characteristics, the vast majority of these patients were in, in Neurocar Association Class 2, so it's about 70% in both groups. About 30% uh, were in Class 3. Almost nobody was in Class 4 or Class 1, so kind of keep that in mind. These are mostly Class 2 and Class 3 patients. About a third of them had atrial fibrillation. About a third of them had had uh, uh, diabetes. About half of them were, were either current or previous smokers, and the uh, median BMI was, was 30. About 87% of patients were taking a beta blocker. Uh, about 80% of patients were taking either an ACE inhibitor, an antigen receptor blocker, or Entresto. And 50% of patients were on a mineral corticoid receptor antagonist. So while I don't think these patients were you know, absolutely tip-top as far as, as goal-directed therapy, I think they were pretty close. And certainly what you would, I think, tend to see maybe even a little better than what you might tend to see in a general population uh, because the study was done again from 2014 to 2020. They didn't even remark on SGL2 drugs. Remember those weren't in the guidelines at, at, at when the study was started and they don't, they don't mention it in the trial at all actually. So as far as the, the, the sodium outcome, what did they find? Well, at baseline, the medium sodium intake was actually really not terrible. 2.3 grams in the low sodium group and 2.2 grams in the usual care group. So again, one wonders about the applicability to the U.S. diet where my guess would be that the average person in the United States probably intakes a little more sodium than that, but they on the whole, you know, again, weren't, weren't at goal, but, but, but they weren't too terrible either, actually. So in the usual care group at six months, the medium sodium intake had dropped from 2,200 to 2,000. And again, I think it just being in the study made people more aware of what they were, what they were eating. And at 12 months, it stayed about the same equivalent, equivalent to about a 4% decrease in total sodium intake at the end of the study. So in the usual care group, just being in the study dropped their sodium intake by about 4%. However, in the low sodium group at six months, medium sodium intake had dropped to 1,649 milligrams at six months and, six, and 1,658 
eight to 12 months. So basically they had dropped from about 2,200 to about 1,600 milligrams. They keep in mind, they did not reach target, right? They did not get uh, most patients below the 1,500 milligram a day target, but they had still uh, uh, equated to an approximately 28% decrease in sodium intake from baseline to six months and from baseline to 12 months. So again, another possible criticism of the study is they unfortunately did not uh, get to the goal they were looking for is less than 1,500. What did they find as far as the outcome? Well, the primary outcome actually occurred in 15% of the patients in the low sodium group and 17% of patients in the usual care group that did not reach statistical significance. All-cause death occurred in 6% of patients in the low sodium group and 4% of patients in the usual care group. So actually, uh, more people died in the uh, low sodium group compared to the usual care group. Uh, but that, uh, again, that we don't, that's a, the, probably the play of chance, and, and it certainly wasn't statistically significant. Uh, Cardiovascular-related hospitalization occurred in 10% of patients in the low sodium group and 12% of patients in the usual care group. Again, that also did not, not, not reach statistical significance, nor did cardiovascular-related emergency department visits, which were pretty much the same across the board. So bottom line was that at 12 months, there was no difference in the low sodium group compared to the normal group as far as the primary outcome of cardiovascular hospitalization, cardiovascular ER visits, or all-cause death within 12 months, and, the, and none of these individual uh, outcomes were different as well. However, they did find an improvement in quality of life. So the uh, Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire was actually improved uh, statistically in patients who were on the low sodium diet um, compared to the usual care at 12 months. And they actually calculated that they, that patients were, were statistically more likely to, impro to improve an entire New York Heart Association functional class at 12 months with a HODS ratio of 0.59. So again, while they didn't find any difference in hard clinical outcomes, they did find that quality of life and, and uh, again, calculated New York Heart Association classification may actually be better. So symptoms may have well improved. However, they did not meet the, meet the, the primary criteria. So what, what can we kind of take away from this? Well, I think, you know, one of the important things to keep in mind is that there are several big limitations to the study, right? The first is that they did not meet power. And in a study where the primary outcome does not find statistical significance, that's always a big concern. Um, again, they, they're pretty vague in their explanation about why they stopped the study, but I suspect, you know, kind of reading between the lines, it was a combination of the fact that they weren't seeing a, a big trend lines toward improvement in the sodium group at an interim analysis. And I think they just ran smack up against the COVID pandemic, which made it very, very difficult for them to continue to, to recruit patients. So bottom line, though, is that it was underpowered. And in an underpowered study that did not find statistical significance, you have to say to yourself, you know, is, is that because they actually, there was no actual difference or they, they didn't have enough patients in the study to find that. That numerically, though, the numbers were very, very similar to each other. And I think, I think you know, that's something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, the second is that they did not actually get to less than 15 milligrams of sodium. But again, one wonders, you know, this was a, this, this was a pragmatic study. And, and I think they wanted to try and make the study as applicable as possible to a wide range of number of patients as possible. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, well, is that a strike of the study itself? Or is it just the fact that it's going to be impossible to get patients uh, to, to a less than 1500 milligram sodium diet? And I would argue probably the latter. I would say that 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 um, this may be an example of, uh, you know, given the resources that most clinicians have um, to, to help their patients uh, with their diets in, in patients with heart failure, I'm not sure it's going to be possible for any but a very, very tiny minority of incredibly motivated patients to actually get to a less than 
1500 milligram sodium diet a day. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's just, the, it's just very, very difficult to do and very, very difficult to sustain is the bottom line. So my personal feeling is that it is a fault of the study, of course, because they didn't get to their target, but it just makes you wonder, given the pragmatic nature of the trial, would, is there any study literally different than locking people up and telling them what they can eat? Uh, they are ever going to get people to less than 1500 milligrams of sodium in their diet a day. And, and my guess is, is probably not. So this may reflect what the real world is. The real world is, is that we can get people to reduce their sodium, but we probably are not going to get people to get to the unbelievably low targets that, that, that we kind of expect. So the other thing the, the authors note is that there was a, a lower than anticipated event rate in sodium HF, which could limit the effect of the trial to detect a difference of given the moderate effect size and really only a much larger study would have been able to do that. So like many cardiovascular studies, they actually did find that their events, the number of events they, they planned in the power analysis was less than they actually saw. And that's actually pretty common in many cardiovascular studies. They point out that Kansas City cardiomyopathy questionnaire and the, and the New York Heart Association classifications were improved. They're much more subjective, you know, because um, they're basically symptom-based. And so, uh, uh, you know, does, that is the possibility of bias there. Interestingly, the six-minute walk distance uh, it was somewhat improved too, though. So again, I think what you can kind of take away from that is what you would expect, that if patients decrease their sodium intake, they're probably less likely to, to retain fluid. And that probably means that they're probably going to be more active. And so it doesn't surprise me that quality of life will improve some if you can have people, especially with HEFREF, you know, back off on the amount of sodium they're going to get. So when I kind of walked away from the study, you know, thinking is that in the end, a study that's probably one of the best studies we're ever going to get on this, there may never be a big study on this ever again, is that um, um, it seems that that reduction of, of sodium in, in patients with, with heart failure in their diets is just very difficult to do. I think it's something we all kind of knew. In a practical sense, given the uh, resources that most clinicians have, you're going to be lucky to get people to maybe a 20-25% reduction in their serum sodium. And if that's the case, does that actually translate into uh, um, improved outcomes as far as mortality or hospitalization. This was an underpowered study, but the balance of the evidence that we have now suggests no, it probably doesn't. However, it may help them feel better. And maybe that's the teaching point that we use with patients is less, well, hey, you got to watch out on your sodium because you're going to get hospitalized if you eat a lot of, of, of sodium and stuff like that. We may not be able to say that as today with, with as much confidence as I think we did before this paper was published. But what I think we can say is, you know, the less sodium you eat, the less water you're going to retain. And the less water you retain, the better you're going to feel. And and I and I, you know, while we realize that we're, you're not going to be able to completely eliminate sodium from your diet, if you can target a 25% reduction in your diet just by some, you know, some fairly simple things, you know, watching what you're eating in the processed food, you know, trying to eat as much fresh food as possible, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables. That's always difficult in people who live, who live in food deserts or on fixed incomes, things along those lines. But what you know, if we can do that and say, look, we're not trying to get you to under three grams or under, you know. 1500 milligrams, if we can back off 20, 25% of your sodium intake, that it might actually help you feel better. And someone may say, well, no, it doesn't. I've been doing this now for six months and has none. It's, it's hard to argue based on the, on the evidence we have here to say, well, keep doing that then, because it doesn't seem like it's going to help you keep you out of the hospital. And if it does make you actually feel better, then it does make you wonder why, why go through that. So I think, I think that's the, the educational piece to talk to your patients about is trying to back off maybe 25% of your sodium intake. If you have, uh, especially HEFREF, um, and, and, you know, there's going to be days where you're going to slip. That's going to, that's going to be normal, but, uh, it may help you feel better, uh, down the road if you do so.
So that's it for this episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. Again, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thanks for listening then. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes. And check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com, where we curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine to deliver straight to you. Join today to connect your learning to practice.